When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Hello there, listeners, and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to another Headlines episode. As a quick reminder, on these Headlines episodes, we do things differently. We're covering... In this case today, we're covering three news stories that have something to do with environmental issues, and we're doing it in under 15 minutes. I'm very excited because today we have a theme. The three news headlines that we're covering today are all centered around the theme of sacrifice. So let's go ahead and get into our first story today. We're heading to Germany, and we're talking about new legislation that is proposed. Keyword proposed. It has not passed. This proposed bill would require all new buildings in Germany to have heating systems that use at least 65% renewable energy. Now, what on earth does that mean? That means that there are very few options on the market for new buildings, heat pumps being the only one that is readily available. And this proposed law is not just for new buildings. It's for everyday homeowners like you and me as well. If you're a homeowner in Germany and your boiler breaks, like mine did in February of this year, by the way, if this bill passes, it would mean that you, the homeowner, would have to install something that, again, uses at least 65% renewable energy, a.k.a. a heat pump. Advocates of this proposed bill argue that getting on the clean energy bandwagon in new buildings, in existing homes, in apartment buildings, and everything in between is vital in meeting the country's carbon emissions goals. However, not surprisingly, many German homeowners are not thrilled with the part of this proposed bill that says that if your boiler breaks, you need to replace it with likely a heat pump. Why? Heat pumps can be quite expensive. Any idea what the price is for a single family home to install a heat pump system? Take a guess. In Germany, it's anywhere from 100 to 150,000 euros, which if we convert that to dollars, let's just give an average and say about $130,000. Compare that with the cost of a new boiler system. So your boiler breaks and you're going to replace it. A new boiler system maybe is around $15,000 tops. Now, advocates for the bill, of course, again, say that if the bill does not pass, Germany will not hit its 2030 carbon reduction targets. 
Critics, however, not surprisingly, argue that this proposed bill will bankrupt middle-class homeowners. And that is a direct quote. Now, this story absolutely fascinates me because it really exemplifies the sacrifice theme that we're discussing today. In this case, we're discussing financial sacrifices. Are we all going to be expected to make big financial sacrifices in the name of carbon reduction goals? And if so, how are middle-class homeowners expected to pay? So we're moving on to middle America. In this story, we're talking about a different type of sacrifice. So stay with me as we head to Kansas. Kansas, if you've never been, I've never been, but I've heard, Kansas has open plains and thousands of miles of wheat fields, and it is one of the windiest states in the United States. Being one of the windiest states means that Kansas is a great place for wind turbines that can capture the wind and convert it into clean energy. Now, too few people live in Kansas to use all the energy that Kansas could generate. So in 2010, developers started planning a large power line project that connected that would connect, I should say, Kansas with Missouri and Illinois and Indiana. So theoretically, the clean energy that Kansas captured could provide electricity to homes in Missouri, let's say. So that was 2010 planning started. It is now 13 years later, 2023, and full construction has not yet started on this project, which, by the way, is called the Grain Belt Express. Now, I mentioned that this story is also about sacrifice, but in this case, it has nothing to do with financial sacrifice. Much of the money to fund this project and other clean energy projects is already there. Last year, Congress approved hundreds of billions, billions with a B, of dollars for solar panels and wind turbines and nuclear plants and other clean energy projects. The issue is not money in this case. The issue is obtaining permits. Because in addition to getting federal permission, these projects also need approval from every local and state jurisdiction it passes through. So think about the projects starting in Kansas, originating in Kansas, and going to Missouri, Illinois, and Indiana. Lots of local and state jurisdictions that need to approve. And at many different times since 2010, Many different agencies have resisted the Grain Belt Express. Now, why? Why is this project encountering resistance? There are many reasons. One reason could be that the project could potentially damage the environment by cutting down trees. Like, should we really be cutting down forests to build wind turbines and solar panel fields? I'm not so sure about that. That's a valid reason in my personal opinion. However, a large contingent of people do not want wind turbines and solar panels because they believe they're eyesores. I had one woman write to me on Instagram a couple months back. She said that the wind turbines in her Midwestern state are such an eyesore that she wishes clean energy was never invented. I did not respond to this message, and I'm not using this woman's name, but I am bringing it up here to say that there is a large contingent of people who don't like the look of 
these clean energy projects and are resisting them because they damage the pretty landscape. And so when we talk about getting these clean energy projects passed, we need to also bring to light the larger problem, which is that America's electrical grid is fragmented and decentralized. That makes it really darn hard to coordinate these large and interstate projects. Now, enter permitting reform. Permitting reform has the goal of streamlining the approval process so that we're not getting approval from dozens, hundreds of different jurisdictions. And advocates of permitting reform say that it should be our number one priority because as long as such clean energy projects are allowed to just sit there with no progress being made, Americans will just keep using dirty energy, coal, oil, and gas. The infrastructure's there. They'll just keep using that. Now, permitting reform, I need to be clear, it would affect both clean energy projects and new dirty energy projects. So it would theoretically make it easier for both types of projects to get the green light. But some fossil fuel projects already do go through a streamlined federal process. They just were grandfathered in. And so in that sense, permitting reform could give clean energy projects a fighting chance. Now, permitting reform does seem to have bipartisan support. It was recently discussed during the debt ceiling negotiations between House Speaker McCarthy and President Biden. So keep an ear out for more on permitting reform. We're going to take our very quick ad break. And then when we come back, we have some good news, some collective sacrifice being made in real time with real benefits. We're heading to South Korea after the break. I'll see you in a minute. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items, and yet somehow we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high-quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game-changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch. They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love 
Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. And we're back. On today's headlines episode, we're discussing sacrifice in all its forms. We talked about financial sacrifice, proposed financial sacrifice in Germany, and proposed eyesight sacrifice, I guess I can call it, in middle America. And now we're moving on to South Korea. South Korea does something really interesting with its food scraps. So we're going to get there in a minute, but let's all just get on the same page for a hot minute. Around the world, about 1.4 billion tons of food is thrown away each year, and the vast majority of that number goes to landfills. As food waste rots in landfills, it pollutes soil, it pollutes water, it also releases huge amounts of greenhouse gases. Estimates find that every ton of food waste that rots in a landfill emits greenhouse gases equivalent to 800 pounds of carbon dioxide. But not in South Korea. South Korea banned food scraps from landfills almost 20 years ago. And so in the country, 90% of discarded food gets turned into animal feed or fertilizer or biogas, which is fuel for heating homes. The real beauty here is that this isn't just a homeowner here, a homeowner there, a restaurant here, an apartment building there doing something good with their food scraps. This is happening on the national level. There are no other countries that have a food scrap program, and that is likely because of the cost. Individuals and businesses in South Korea do pay a small fee to discard their food waste. So they basically weigh it and then get sent a bill at the end of the month. But the program, even with individuals and businesses paying to have their food scraps responsibly discarded, even with those fees, the program costs South Korea $600 million a year to run on the national scale. But when you have a program like this on the national scale, the impact, the good positive impact is, of course, bigger, right? Now, if you're wondering how on earth did South Korea get its citizens on board with this financial sacrifice? In this case, as it does in many cases, it comes down to choosing the lesser of two evils. South Korea is a mountainous country, so there are not many great places for landfills to be built. and the existing landfills are built near residential areas. What do you think that means? <laughs> have you ever been to a landfill? If you have been to a landfill, you know what it means. It means that the stench of the landfills was more than many, many citizens could bear to live with. Now, interesting fact here. Because stews are a staple of Korean cuisine, these stews have a high water content, which means a greater volume, and worse odors. Keeping food out of the landfills that are near residential areas keeps the stench down. So there was a sacrifice to be had here. Either citizens were going to pay a small fee to have their food waste carted off, or they were going to live near landfills that stink. South Korean citizens chose the financial sacrifice in this case. 
So how does it work? At apartment complexes, for example, throughout the country, residents are issued cards. They scan the card every time they drop food waste into the food waste bin. Then the bin weighs the amount of food waste they're throwing out. And at the end of the month, the residents get a bill. Drivers drive around and pick up the food waste every single day except Sunday because, again, food waste smells. Then they bring it to a processing facility. Different facilities do different things, but in one facility, workers will sift through all the food waste by hand. They'll pull out the bones or the, I don't know, the stuff that shouldn't be there and then put it on a conveyor belt. The conveyor belt will carry the waste to a grinder. Then the waste is baked, dehydrated. Some of it is used to produce biogas. The rest is sent to another processing plant where it's ground into a dry brown powder, which is a great food supplement for chicks and ducks. And it's given away to any farm that wants it. Now, one surprising fact of South Korea's food waste program, I would assume that if you have to pay to have your food waste discarded, you would naturally produce less food waste, right? However, that's not what actually has happened in South Korea. The program has not gotten people to throw away less food. And the amount of discarded food nationwide in South Korea has basically stayed steady over the 20 years since the inception of this program. So that's our show today. The final word for today's show is that We're all going to have to make some sacrifices in varying degrees, but in some cases, we're going to have to be making some big sacrifices, financial and otherwise, if we want to meet our climate goals. There seems to be, at least in my eyes, there seems to be a narrative circling that we can meet our climate goals without sacrifice, without changing our way of life. But from where I'm sitting at this moment, I think we need to take off our rose-colored glasses. Our collective and Western way of living, we cannot continue living. We cannot continue wasting the way we are at the moment. We're going to need to sacrifice sooner or later. Hopping off my soapbox, I'm logging off, heading into the weekend. I'll see you on Tuesday for our regularly scheduled interview. Reach out if you need me as always. Have an amazing weekend and take care.